What's your dream? I think we all have one, right? When you're hanging out with friends, you're sitting with a buddy at a game, or you're talking with your wife or husband, and you start talking about your hopes and your dreams. Well, what's your dream? I mean, when we were kids, we all had dreams, right? And we all wanted to be Slash or play third base for the Rockies and then one day get traded to the Cardinals. I mean, maybe for you, you wanted, to, you wanted to grow up, you wanted to be a lawyer, you wanted to be an artist, you wanted to be an author. You wanted to grow up, get married, you wanted to have kids. You, you dreamed about retirement because you were going to travel and do all these things. So what's your dream? You know, dreams are powerful. They uh, unite us, they inspire us, they motivate us. I love what J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings series, says about dreams. He says that a single dream is more powerful than a thousand realities. Because dreams give us hope, don't they? They give us that, that extra push to, to keep going and to, to keep driving. But I want to ask, what happens when your dream starts to unravel? What happens when your dream doesn't come true or it seems to be dashed? What happens when you got the dream job, but then something happened at the dream job and you lost the dream job? What happens when you found the dream house, but you couldn't put a high enough bid in to actually buy the dream house? What happened when the dream family, something happened? What do you do? If you think for a lot of us, it sends us into a spiral of discouragement and doubt, and we even start to wonder, God, are you here? God, I feel like you put this dream on my heart, but I don't see you. I don't feel you. What's going on? When I was in college, I got a degree in finance and banking from Mizzou, and I know I got some finance and accounting people here. Anybody with me? I got one. I got, I got one. See, you know, everybody else is like, why would you do that? We just feel so misunderstood, don't we? we just, nobody understands. But I know I got a couple, but you guys are just, you know, introverts, and that's okay, right? It's, it's the way it goes. But, I, you know, I'm graduating. It's my last semester at Mizzou, and I, I get my dream interview. LaSalle Bank, downtown Chicago, corporate banking. I was so excited when I bought a new suit, JCPenney's. It was like 89 bucks. I mean, it was college kids special. And I'm in the interview, and I feel like it's going really well. It's going great. And I'm like, I think I got a good chance at this. And then that letter came. You guys remember the letter? Now it's probably an email, right? Or it's like a, a Slack message. But back then it was letters. And I get the letter in the mail, and I open it up, and it's like, hey, Drew, sorry. And that hurt. I still have that letter, by the way. It's not framed or anything. I'm not that cool. It's like in a folder somewhere in like the garage. But I still had it because that was a dream and it got dashed. So we've all been there. And the dashed dream hurts and sometimes it can send us on a spiral where we really don't want to go. And see, maybe this is you today. Maybe you're in a place where you had a dream, God gave you this dream, and you feel like the dream has slidden away, and you're just not sure if that's even going to happen. You're not sure how it's going to play. And you even wonder, God, why did you give me that dream in the first place? But how many of you know that many of the people that inspire us, many of our heroes, are people who accomplished their dreams, are people who saw their dreams fail over and over again before it ever came true? I mean, think of Walt Disney. I was listening to this great podcast uh, about Walt Disney recently, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but Walt Disney, I mean, he, he struggled mightily. He was fired from a newspaper. 
He was the editor of a newspaper in KC. He got fired, get this, because he lacked creativity. Then he starts a, a company making short films and goes bankrupt. Then he finally creates this great character, and it gets stolen from him because of copyright. And he was just in a place where he wanted to give up over and over again. It wasn't until he actually came up with Mickey Mouse that it took off. If he would have walked away at any of those three or four situations, we would never have known um, Dumbo the elephant. I mean, can you guys imagine that? You'd never know Dumbo, right? Your life is better because of Dumbo. I just, I'm just going to tell you, it is. But it's not just Walt Disney. There's so many characters. How about J.K. Rawlings? Anybody uh, Harry Potter fans in here? All right. See, they hate accounting, but you love Harry Potter. Harry Potter fans, you know that she um, was denied tw 12 times on her first manuscript of the, uh, the Sorcerer's Stone. She was living on welfare at the time before somebody gave her a shot. And now look at it. Or how about Jerry Seinfeld? You guys know Jerry Seinfeld. You know Jerry got booed off the stage the very first time he spoke? You guys booed me like three weeks ago for wearing chief socks. I mean, I, I get it, right? <laughs> but, I mean, booed off the stage. They told him just to quit. And look what he's done. He's become one of the most famous comedians of all time. See, there's something inside of us that has this dream, and yet for a lot of us, we, we, we end up giving up on the dream too early, but we see that if we stay with it, there, there's something there that God can use those moments. And so I guess the question is, when we start to feel our dreams fall apart, what do we do about it? Today, we're going to meet a new character in our journey through the greater story. We're going to meet a new character, and we're going to see if this character had a dream that God gave this guy a dream, and it was a God-sized dream. Yet along the way, the dream started to unravel. That dream started to fall apart. And he found himself in a place where I'm sure, like many of us, he thought, this dream is never going to come true. I'm just going to give up and move on. But what we see in the story of Joseph is we're going to see that in the midst of the greatest uncertainty of Joseph's life, we're going to see God whispering, Hey, Joseph, I'm here, and watch. I'm up to something really special. And I wonder for you, if you're living in a place where you feel like your dream has been dashed, could God be whispering to you today through Joseph's story that I'm here and I'm doing something special? So let's look at the life of Joseph. If you have your Bible, grab those. We'll be in Genesis chapter 37. And as you turn there, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, we thank you that we can dive into uh, the life of Joseph this, Joseph this morning, such an important character in your greater story. And so help us to, to see, Lord, um, how you moved in his circumstances and in his life and to let that be an encouragement of how you're moving in our lives as well. Father, we continue to pray for uh, the, the situation in Ukraine right now and with Russia. Uh, Lord, we pray that you move in that situation, that you, you heal uh, the brokenness, that, um, Lord, you end the conflict and that you reunite families. Father, we learned the very sad news that Mary Keene's husband, Vernon, um, passed away. And so, Father, our heart goes out to uh, Mary Keene. Our heart goes out to uh, the Taggart family, Lord, as Vernon uh, is no longer with us. We pray for comfort and we pray for peace. Uh, we pray that you just guide them uh, during this really difficult season that they're in. Father, I pray that you stir us up this morning. Help us to see uh, the truths that you have for us in the life of Joseph. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So if you've been with us, we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, and our ambition is to cover the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and to see these running themes. 
And so we began Genesis back in January, and we started seeing that God creates everything. God gives it purpose. Uh, God begins to create culture and life, and then all of a sudden, sin comes in and messes it up. And quickly, we see this just downfall. It was like the levee broke, and we see sin and rebellion and, and, and all pride and all kinds of really ugly things. Then we get to Genesis 12, and things change. In Genesis 12, we see that God chooses one family to bless the world through. And so in Genesis 12, we meet Abraham. And it's through the family of Abraham and his wife Sarah and, and their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca and their son Jacob. And we begin to see that the story unfold. Well, last week we got to Jacob and we're nearing the end of the book of Genesis. And we see that there's this really interesting account of Jacob wrestling with God and God changing Jacob's name to Israel. And we see that, that Jacob, as with the rest of the family, were, were, they weren't this picture-perfect family. They were pretty messy. It was pretty broken, a lot, of, a lot of, of failure to trust, but yet God kept his promise and continued to bless him. And so last week we see Jacob, he has four wives, 12 kids, it's pretty messy. And then we get to Genesis chapter 37, and, and God told Jacob to move back home. So Jacob grabs his family and all of his belongings and makes the 500-mile trek back to Canaan, reconciles with his brother Esau, and now the, the story speeds up a few years, and then we slow down and we meet Joseph. In Genesis chapter seven or thirty-seven. Now Joseph's a, an important character for us because the Bible actually gives us thirteen chapters about the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph will actually take us up to the end of the book of Genesis, and so I think it's important that we slow down and we see what's so important about Joseph. When we meet Joseph, he's about seventeen years old at this time, and he is um, really. Abraham, or Jacob's favorite son. So look with me, Genesis chapter 37. Uh, let's start by reading verses three and four. Notice this, Genesis 37, verse three. Now Israel, remember that was Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. So Joseph was the, the firstborn son to Rachel. And if you guys were with us last week, Pastor Kev talked about how Jacob loved Rachel more than anyone. And so that's why he loved Joseph so much. Now, Joseph had a little brother named Benjamin as well. So Israel loved Jacob, or I'm sorry, Israel loved Joseph more than any other son, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So notice there's this conflict already going on between Joseph and, and his brothers here. And we hear about this coat. Now, if you guys grew up in church and went to VBS, there's a chance that you, made a, uh, you took a cardboard or a paper sack and made a coat out of it, right? How many of you had a coat at one point in time? I guess, okay, a bunch of you. Okay, finally, there's some hands. Like, we all did the Joseph coat, right? It's fun. Now, people have tried to figure out what this coat actually looks like. Okay, so here's a picture. I, I'm pretty sure this isn't it, right? I don't know that Joseph was doing the old twirl, um, but I mean, it had a lot of colors. Now, I like to believe that it looked more like this. Now, that, that you know, would be my preference of what the coat of many colors look like. Um, a little more flowy, you know, but it was the Middle East. It's hot. You get some air flowing through there. But anyways, God makes this, or God, Jacob makes a coat for Joseph. And his brothers, they see the coat. And it's not the coat that they hate. It's not this robe that they hate. But it's a symbol of the fact that Jacob loves Joseph more than the others. Well, if you go back and you think about Jacob's experience, well, his mom loved him. Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau. And Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. And so there's just this conflict that's going on. 
in this family, you just see this. There's just the, some dysfunction at play. And it's to the point where Joseph's brothers hate him. He's got 10 older brothers, and, and, and they hate him. Now, I want you to see that God gives jo- Joseph a dream. And it's a God-sized dream. But things go awry when Joseph tells his brothers his dream. Notice, look with me, uh, starting there in verse 5. It says that, uh, that Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So they didn't like him already, but now he's having this dream where he's kind of bragging. Joseph's 17. He's a, he's a little cocky. I know I was when I was 17, so I can understand that. And so Joseph's telling his brothers his dream. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Verse 7, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you, in, are you uh, indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so he, he tells them this dream that, like, I, I had this weird dream, guys, that someday you're going to be bowing down to me. And his older dreams are like, his older brother's like, What? Like, that's ridiculous. And they hated him even more. And so we begin to see this thing at play. Now, interesting, that dream is actually foreshadowing of what God's going to do through this story 13 chapters later. But yet, at this point in time, his brothers are enraged, and they're mad at him, and they hate Joseph even more. And so one day, his brothers are out pasturing a flock. We see this in verse 12. And they're near a place called Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are, you, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he, and he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So notice what's playing here. Jacob says to Joseph, hey, your 10 older brothers are working in the fields, sweating, working hard. They don't, probably don't have any, you know, a whole lot of water, a whole lot of food. Why don't you go check in on them? And here's a clipboard and a cup of coffee, right? And why don't you just go, just take some notes and, and bring it back. Like, that is the last thing Jake, Jacob should have asked Joseph to do right here, right? Because his brothers already hate him, and now he's going to be ruling over them with a clipboard and a cup of coffee. And so we see that Joseph jumps at the opportunity. Yeah, it sounds great, Dad. Let's go. And so Joseph goes to check on his brothers. Now, this is interesting. I want you to notice this. So Jacob sends Joseph out, and it's like supervisory role. And Joseph goes to Shechem. Right? But notice what happens in verse 15. Joseph goes there, but his brothers are gone. So they're pasturing flocks, and I'm sure they moved over to another field, and they're finding some fresh grass to eat. But there's a man wandering around. Now, we don't know who this man is. There's just this guy wandering in the fields, and the man asks Joseph, he's like, where are you going? What are you doing? He's like, hey, I'm trying to find my brothers. And he's like, oh, your brothers moved on, but I thought I heard them say they're going to go to Dothan. And so Joseph's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll go to Dothan. Now, Dothan is like a 10 or 15-mile walk from here. So, this is, I mean, it's a long journey. So Joseph continues on. Who was that mysterious guy? We don't know, but we'll come back to him. So, so Joseph goes on. He makes this walk. And, and it, notice, when we get to verse 18, his brothers see him from afar. And so in verse 18, it says that then from afar, his brothers see Joseph coming. But, but notice that what happens. This is where things get off the rails. In verse um, 18 and 19, they said, um, they, they saw Joseph from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, don't gloss over that. They're conspiring against his brother. This is the brother. This is flesh and blood. But they want to kill him. And notice verse 19, they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, 
Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. See, don't, don't, gloss, off, don't, don't gloss, gloss over the fact that in their heart is murderous intent. And, and just think of the moral compass of this family at this point, right? I mean, they don't say, well, here comes Joseph. Let's uh, give him a swirly in the porta potty right? Or here comes Joseph. Let's uh, hit his, his office with post-it notes. They don't say, hey, here comes Joseph. Let's just give him a, a rug burn and throw him, beat him up a little bit and teach him a lesson. No, they're like, no, let's, let's kill him. Like, let's actually take his life. See, I want you to notice something here, guys. Don't miss this. Sin begins in your heart. So often we want to talk about like our actions, which our actions matter. What we do matters. The way we live our lives matter. But we, we often say, well, if I got to just stop doing this sin or I just, I, this, this one thing, I just, I don't know how it happened. I just can't get around it. But I think what the Bible makes clear, what God is telling us is that sin begins in our heart. It's the intention of things inside of us. There, there's a root that's inside of us. Joseph's brothers, they, in their hearts, wanted to kill their brother because they hated him. They conspired. They were already planning their cover-up. And I think it's a check to us when we think about our lives, when we think about our sin. Where is it starting? Where is it taking root? In our heart. Real change doesn't start with our behavior. It starts in our hearts. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God speaking to Ezekiel says that I am going to give my people hearts of flesh, new hearts, and get rid of those hearts of stone. Jesus talks about it's not what we put into our body that defiles us, it's what comes out. And so we need to be changed inside out. And this is what Jesus comes to do. Jesus comes to give us new life. He comes to give us new hearts, and he comes to change us from the inside out. Our behavior changes, but first our heart has to change. And so Joseph's brothers are just in this place where their hearts are just so broken with so much hatred towards Joseph, they want to kill him. But there's one brother, his oldest brother, Reuben, the oldest of all, that actually wants to try to work through the situation to save Joseph's life. Notice what Reuben says in verse 21. Reuben walks over, big bro walks over, and he says, hey, let's not, let's not take his life, shed no blood, let's throw him into this pit instead. And so he had this plan, well, let's... So I'm in the pit, and then when the brothers aren't looking, I'm going to grab him, I'm going to rescue him, and I'm going to take him home. And so they, joke, they, they, they strip him of his coat, of, of his Jimi Hendrix flowy coat, and they throw him in this pit. And in those days, these pits were water cisterns. Here's a picture of one just to give you an idea. I mean, it wasn't like a, just a little dugout piece of dirt. It was like a piece of rock that was, uh, that was carved out, and it would collect rainwater and for, for cattle and uh, for people. And so they threw Joseph down into this pit. So we talk about Joseph being in the pit. That's what it looked like. So imagine now, Joseph is in this pit. And I'm just trying to imagine all of the things that are spinning through his mind. No, no, I want you just to hit pause for a second. Think of the dysfunction in this family. The dysfunction in this family. Here, here's Joseph. It's their, their, their baby brother. And they've thrown him in a pit. And they're talking about taking his life. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we, we open up the Bible and we look at the pages of Scripture and we look at the characters and we say, these are the heroes of the faith. Th these are the people of the faith. If I could just be more like them. But the more we read our Bibles, I think what God wants us to see is actually God uses dysfunctional, broken, messy people like us and like Jacob's family to show us that it's God who's the one in control. It's the God who one, is the one who changes lives. 
But God is the one who's actually doing the work. I mean, I just want you to think about this family. We think about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God enough. So remember, Abraham had a, had a son with Sarah's servant, Hagar. And that created this terrible dysfunction and hostility. And then you get, you get Isaac and Rebecca and their, their love for each of their children, and it creates this scheme that Rebecca and Jacob have to try to, um, to go and uh, circumvent Esau so that Jacob can get the blessing. And then you have this battle between Jacob and Esau. Then you have this battle between Jacob loving Rachel more than Leah, and so now the 12 sons kind of hate each other, and they really hate Jacob and ben- or Joseph and Benjamin. I mean, there's just dysfunction in this family. And if you think your family's dysfunctional, well, then your family is just basically biblical. You just, I mean, not in a good way, but I mean, really, there's just, you look at the families of the Bible and it's just brokenness and it's messy and it's just all over the place. But I think here's something that I want us to realize. If God can use Jacob's family to bless the world, if God can use Jacob's messy family to bless the world, he can surely do something special through yours. That God can use you guys. God can use your family. God can use those Thanksgiving table conversations that we all dread sometimes. I mean, Mom, I don't dread those, but I mean, sometimes we do. (laughs) God can use these things. God is always moving through our situations. Let's slow it down even more. Some of you have been really through horrible situations. Some of you have been treated really horribly. Some of you have been disrespected, and some of you have had really tragic situations happen, and you feel like you're in a pit. You feel like your life is just in a pit, and you're wondering, God, are you even here right now? And you're wondering, God, are you even going to move in this situation? I think what God wants to show us through the story of Jacob, or through Joseph's life, is that God is always moving in the background. If you can let Joseph's life encourage you, just see that Joseph's brothers could not derail God's plan for, for Joseph's life as much as they tried. And God is not going to let the hurt that you've experienced, the pain that you've experienced, derail God's plan for your life either. God is bigger than all of that, guys. God is in control of all of that. God's word about Joseph proved true. God's word about Jesus proved true. God's word about you will prove true too. So trust him even when you're walking through difficult situations. Trust him even when you feel like your life is in the pit because he's working even when it doesn't look like it. So we're here in Genesis 37 and Joseph's stuck in this pit. And I'm sure Joseph's spinning in his mind. He's thinking, what's going on? What am I going to do? What's going to happen? I'm sure he's crying out to his brothers. Hey, guys, I'm here. Hey, I promise I'll never do it again. I threw away the clipboard. That dream, I made it up. It was a joke. Just let me out, guys. Ha ha, this is really funny. But look at the next verse, verse 25. It says that they sat down to eat. Okay. Again, these families just messed up, right? Their brother's crying in, the, in the, the cistern next to them, and they're having McDonald's, right? They're just sitting there like nothing's happened, and they're just kind of chatting. And all of a sudden, I want you to notice something. Notice what happens in verse 26. They sat down to eat, and they looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Now, remember, Ishmael was the, the son of Abraham before Isaac was born, Abraham had that child with Hagar that we talked about. And so these are like their, their like six cousins, right, coming down, these, these guys coming down from Gilead. Then Judah, 
Remember the name Judah. It's going to play into our story as we continue. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Like Judah gets a conscience, right? He's like, well, instead of killing him, let's just sell him, right, into slavery. Because that's a good second option, right? Yeah, just sell him into slavery. So all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, it's a great idea. So the Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the, the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So if you do a modern currency exchange, 20 shekels of silver is $6.21. So they sold the brother for six bucks. I mean, you can't even get a double quarter pound of a cheese for six bucks, right? I mean, this is like... Talk about what value he was worth to his brothers. And I'm imagining Joseph, he's in the pit, and the rope come down. He's like, finally, ah, guys, I promise. And he comes up, and immediately they take the rope and tie it on his hands. And they put him in this caravan. And now he's on his way to Egypt. And just imagine the, the pain that he feels. Now he's on a slave route to Egypt. And at this point, he feels like the dream is gone, Right? He feels like this dream that God has given him is dashed, that it, there's no way he's going to experience all what he thought God was showing him, all the hopes that he had in his life. He was a son of promise. He was a man of influence. He, his father Jacob had wealth and land and property and animals and everything he could imagine, and he was going to inherit it all. And now he's on a midnight train to Egypt as a slave, a place that he has no knowledge of, a place that he has no understanding of, a place that I'm sure he's fearful uh, and to make matters worse, in verse 31, his brothers concoct this plan. They take his, his robe and they dip it in blood. They send it back to his, their dad. And they say, hey, dad, we found this. Looks like an animal killed your son. And they even try to comfort him, but they're lying to him. And so notice where we are in the story. Joseph's dream is, is, is gone, in his opinion. Jacob's most beloved son has died, he thinks. And now these 10 older brothers are carrying around this guilt and this shame. They know what happened, and now they got to live with it. They thought it was going to make them feel better, but it doesn't. There's no way it did. And it feels like the story is completely and utterly broken at this point with no hope left. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. But maybe in your life you've been to a place where you feel like it's just you're in the pit, the dream is gone. Everything's a mess, and it's all fallen down, and it's all unraveled. See, what do you do? What do you do when you get in a place where you feel like everything has fallen apart? Where do you go? How, how do you move forward? See, I want you to see something. There's something I don't want you to miss. Because in verse 36, we see something that changes everything in the story. Look at me, Genesis 37, verse 36. What does God say? Meanwhile. So you notice that everything is broken, everything's falling apart, everything's off the rail, but all of a sudden God says, meanwhile, meanwhile, the Midianite traders had sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer, Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Meanwhile. See, see this word meanwhile changes everything in the story. Because meanwhile shows us the main character of the story, who we haven't even seen mentioned yet, God is at work. The God is moving in the situation. 
And I think what God wants to show us with the word meanwhile is that when we look at our lives and we find that we are in these moments of uncertainty and doubt where we feel like things have all fallen apart, through Joseph, God is telling us that we can be confident that God is still weaving our circumstances together and God is still moving through our situations. See, Joseph's story teaches us that even in the midst of our dysfunction and brokenness, God is weaving together his plan for our lives. That even when everything seems bleak, when everything seems done, God is weaving and working and orchestrating his plan for us behind the scenes. Now here in verse 36, we, or verse 35, everything seemed lost, everything seemed broken, nothing made sense. But I want you to look back through the story. I want you to see God's fingerprints. God gives Joseph this dream. Jacob sends Joseph out on, and Joseph's brothers hate him for the dream. Jacob sends Joseph out to go check on his brothers. And jo- Joseph goes and checks on his brothers, and he meets this mysterious man on some hillside in Shechem who's like, no, no, they're in Dothan. What would happen if Joseph just would have walked home? What would have happened if Jacob wouldn't have sent Joseph? Joseph goes to see his brothers, and now his brothers are like, hey, let's kill him. And Reuben's like, no, 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 let's kill him. Let's throw him in the pit instead, and I'll rescue him later. And then they sit down to eat. What happens if lunch wasn't ready? What happens if they ate earlier, had a big breakfast? They don't need lunch that day. And then this caravan is coming by. At the right time, they're sitting down for lunch. What would have happened if those caravan, those Ishmaelite Midianite guys, would have woke up that morning and said, hey, let's sleep in 10 minutes? Or what if one of the camels would have got a flat tire? Right? <laughs> Like, what would have happened if they would have got stopped by somebody else on the way? Then they meet the, the Midianite traders, and they, they pick up Joseph for $6.21, and they take him to Egypt. And who does he get sold to in Egypt? He gets sold to Potiphar. And who is Potiphar? He's basically the Pharaoh's head of the CIA, a very important person. And that's an important part of the rest of the story. Look how God was interweaving all of those things. If any one of those things had changed, Joseph probably wouldn't have gone to Egypt. Joseph might have died in the pit or worse. Something could have gone right but didn't because God was orchestrating all of those situations together. Somehow, way, God was weaving all of these things together because God orchestrates these things in the heart of our lives. And I wonder if the situation you're going through right now in your life where you feel like your dream has been lost or you feel like you're in the pit, if right now what God is doing is he's telling you, I am weaving all of those situations together to create something beautiful in your life because I am moving ahead of you and I'm 10 steps ahead of you every single time. God is always ahead of us, working behind the scenes. And I wonder, is God doing that for you right now too? This week, I I saw a really cool picture. It was a picture of John Lennon. It was a a, a photo mosaic. You guys seen these photo mosaics? So you can like send in your family photo album and then you can create a mosaic out of it. Computer program can design these. And so this is a picture of John Lennon made out of Beatles album covers. If you guys are Beatles fans, like go check it out. This is super cool made out of Beatles album covers. But I love this because it shows us that God can take these little bitty pictures, these little bitty stories in our lives, and he can bring them together to create this mosaic of how he's working in our lives. And we know this is what God does because he tells us. God says in Romans 8, 28, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those called by God according to his purposes. 
that God is weaving, that God is working, that God is taking all the difficult circumstances in your life and my life, and he's bringing them together for his purpose and for his goals and for his dreams. And when you look at the story of Joseph, and we'll see it unplay out in the next couple weeks, but you see that God continues working all these things together. Remember, Joseph goes to the trade market, and the, of all the people that could have bought him was Potiphar. Joseph goes to Potiphar, and he, he excels as a slave in Potiphar's house, but then he gets falsely accused, and he gets thrown into prison. It's in prison that Joseph interprets a dream of the baker and the butler that a couple years later gets told to Pharaoh when he has a dream. So Pharaoh goes to Joseph. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Joseph gets elevated to number two person in charge of Egypt. There's a famine in the land, and Jacob and his family end up coming to Egypt to buy grain, and Joseph gets reunited with his brothers. And God orchestrated all of those things behind the scenes to save his people, the people that he chose all the way back in Genesis 20 or Genesis 12 that he rescues all the way forward in Genesis chapter 50. God is always weaving and always orchestrating things behind the scene. And I want you to hear what Joseph says when he meets his brothers years later after they had thrown him in the pit and sold him into slavery. Notice what he says in Genesis 45, verse 7 and 8. He says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to give to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here but God. Isn't that amazing? That God took all that ugly, messy brokenness and weaved it together to get Joseph exactly where he needed to be in the right moment, at the right time, in the right place, so he could rescue his family. And do you guys realize if any of these things had fallen apart, there'd be no Old Testament. There'd be no greater story. There'd be no blessing. We wouldn't have Jesus. But we have those things because God is in control. He's always in control, and he's always ahead of us, and he's always weaving our situations together. Thank God for meanwhile. Amen. Thank God that there is a meanwhile in our lives too. And forefront, what this means for you is this means that every difficult circumstance you've ever been through, this means that every moment of heartbreak that you've ever experienced, this means that every challenging day, days that you wanted to give up, that God is using those things to work together for your good and for his glory. And that one day you're going to be able to look back and you're going to see that God was interweaving these things together. That God is taking every story in your life and he's using them to build a bigger picture. That God is using every story in your life and he's using them to build a beautiful mosaic of Jesus in our lives. How it all works together, we don't know. How it all comes together, we, it's kind of a bit of a mystery. But God says, this is what I am doing. I want to invite the music team to join us back on stage as we'll continue to sing in here in a couple of moments. But here's what I want to say, Forefront. If you find yourself in a situation right now when you feel like your life is in a pit and you feel like that everything is unraveled and everything is falling apart, what God wants us to see is that he wants you to be confident to know that he is using those situations to work together 
that he is working behind the scenes. And he doesn't want you to give up. He doesn't want you to get discouraged. He doesn't want you to fall for doubt. What he wants you to do is to be faithful and to trust him and to put, keep putting one foot forward after another, knowing that he is going to make the way for you. So you may be right. You may be in a place right now where you feel like your dream is gone and your, your, your dream is dashed. Could God be telling you today that his dream is bigger and better than yours ever could have been? We see that God's dream in Joseph's life was more than Joseph could have ever imagined. Could God be saying the same thing to you? That, that my dream for you is beautiful? And that my dream for you is going to change your life? It's going to change this world? Could the story of Joseph, could God be telling you today, let me shape your dream? See, the reality is this week we're going to run into situations we're going to find ourselves in, in places where we're going to get discouraged and down and start to doubt. But God wants us to remember there is always a meanwhile. That there's always a meanwhile in our lives. And he is always working behind the scenes. And we don't know what it's going to look like. And we don't know how it's all going to work out. But he wants us to learn to trust him. That he is going to lead us exactly where we need to go. And in the end, It'll be more beautiful and more rich than anything we could have ever imagined. So this week, here's my challenge to you. This week, when you run into that place where you begin to well up in discouragement or you feel like you've hit a roadblock or maybe a dead end, or maybe you feel like your dream is gone or you're stuck in a pit, how could God be using that circumstance in your life to work things together for good? Because that's his promise to us. He's always working behind the scenes. So let's follow him and let's trust him. And know he's going to lead us exactly where he wants us to go. Would you pray with me?